Good morning. Well, it's always good to be with you. Yeah, we got got back last Tuesday night, and we do leave Tuesday morning. A uh, couple of stops between here and there, but we're on our way back to Kenya. So I ask you to keep us in your prayers, if you would. Thank you very much. I just want to get right into the message this morning. I feel like the Lord has put on my heart to share with you. It's from Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 16, and it's a familiar story to you. It's the story of Gideon. We're going to kind of pick it up in the middle. Uh, and then we'll talk about the story a little bit. Verse, uh, Judges 6, verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was thresh, threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Father, thank you for your word. It reveals truth. <clears throat> so this story of Gideon, it's kind of an ageless story. It's been told over and over and over again uh, with... The basic story has been told under different circumstances with different sets of people, and it's still one that plays out today, both in individuals and in churches and in communities. So I want us to look at it a little bit more in depth. This, this is a message that I, I shared part of this uh, a couple of times in South Sudan with our uh, graduates from the Bible Institute, because uh, you'll understand why in just a minute as, as I go through this story. So the story begins like this. Israel, it's in a time there's not a king uh, in Israel. It's a time of the judges. And so the whole history of the nation is up and down, up and down, kind of one coup after another after another. Uh, they, the Israelites will be faithful for a while. Then they fall into idolatry. God hands them over to their enemies for a time of oppression. They go into a time of oppression. They start crying out to God. They find themselves in a place that's hopeless and helpless. They start crying out to God for relief. He sends a prophet to announce the coming of a judge or a leader who will lead them in victory over their enemies and they gain that victory and they're faithful for a little while and then the cycle repeats itself, okay? Well, in South Sudan, that's exactly what their life has been like of almost everybody who's alive there now. Um, the nation has been at war for 30 years and we, we get the opportunity to help train now, I'm not even sure how many. I should have counted them up. But over the last five years, we've trained several young men and women from the refugee camps and IDP camps and other places in South Sudan. And they go back and they, and they take the gospel to their people. But these people have only known a nation at war. They've only known fear and hiding, the, the invading... Uh, other tribes or, or enemy groups will come in and steal all the food and they're left to starve. This is what was happening with Gideon. 
And so the people there that I can share this story with, they relate to Gideon so much on a very deep heart level. They know what it's like to grow up in a place of danger and oppression, a place where you feel like you need to hide, a place where tomorrow is very uncertain and where life is cheap from the, in the eyes of the world. This is how Gideon found himself. We don't know exactly his age in this story, but he's a young man. And he is threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press in order to, to hide it so the enemy scouts cannot see. Because when you thresh wheat, you're throwing it up in the air. And it creates dust. And the, if the enemy ar armies have their scouts around, they can see that. They'll know who's threshing wheat, and they'll go and steal, steal the crop, steal the harvest. So Gideon is hiding the crop just so he can get a little bit of food for his family to survive on. Other people are hiding in caves and, and holes and trying to stay out of sight and out of mind. This, growing up like this, affects your whole identity. How you see yourself, how you see God, what you think is possible, what you, what you can't even imagine might be possible. It affects your whole identity. And this is kind of where we pick up the story of Gideon. He's threshing the wheat. And the angel of the Lord appears to him. Why? Was Gideon like some super pious, holy person who had proven himself well? Apparently not. God chose him because God could see something about Gideon Gideon could not see. Okay. It had nothing to do with how good Gideon had been or how faithful he had been. But God could see in him something he could not see about himself. This is the nature and the love of our father. Gideon's identity was, I'm the least of the least of the least. He even said it. How can I do this? Like, I'm, I'm in the weakest clan of the weakest tribe and the weakest family. I don't have anything to offer. You ever feel that way? Is that how God looks at you? No, of course not. This has also affected Gideon's identity uh, of God, his understanding of who God was. Because the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, you know, uh, mighty warrior, I'm going to send you and you're going to deliver your people. And Gideon said something like this. I'm just going to paraphrase it. Really? Like, you know, if he was today, like, really? We've heard the stories. We've heard the stories of your deliverance of our people in the past. We've heard the stories of miracles, signs, and wonders. We've heard the stories of the victories. But if God is with us, where is he? It sure doesn't look like it. It doesn't feel like it. Look at me. I'm hiding just so I have a little bit of food for my family. But God speaks to him. You're a mighty warrior. Gideon's going, yeah, right. You see, it affected Gideon's identity of himself, and it affected his understanding of God's identity. And so God was okay with that. See, that's the amazing thing. God was okay with that. He understood why Gideon felt and thought the way he did. So what does God say? You know, God, God's 
often not real wordy. Did you notice that when he like gives you instructions? <laughs> he doesn't feel the need to explain everything. We do, but he doesn't. Okay. So he just says to Gideon, go in the strength you have and I'll, I'll go with you. <laughs> that didn't satisfy Gideon's heart. But what about this? What about that? What about this? And so Gideon began asking God for confirmations. Gideon began to express his doubts. And you know what? God was okay with that. God understands if you don't understand who you are. God understands if you don't understand who he is. But all he does is ask you to listen and obey, to trust him. And he will bring you to a greater understanding. So he says to Gideon, you just go in the strength you have and I'll go with you. And then Gideon starts with all the, well, what about this? What about that? Okay, if it's really you, I'm going to put the fleece out. Okay, if it's really you, I'm going to put the fleece out again. You know the story. I'm not going to go through all those details. God is okay with your doubts. As long as you're asking questions, as long as you're expressing your doubts, so you're seeking clarification in order to follow him, in order to obey him. Now, if you're expressing your doubts, looking for a reason not to obey him, that's a whole different story. See, it has to do with the motivation of your heart. God does not mind if you have doubts. He doesn't mind if you lack vision as long as you just keep taking it to him and asking him to clarify, to clear up. See, it's kind of his job to make things clear so we can do it. Okay? And God likes that. He doesn't have to give us all the reasons. He doesn't have to give us all the details. Because if he did, it would overwhelm us anyway. What God calls you to is always going to be bigger than you can imagine. So just accept that. But it's not bigger than you can understand what he wants you to do. Okay? Many people get paralyzed in this place. Of, of like thinking they have to have more details before they can start moving in a way they know God has called. Let me tell you, you don't. If you know God has pointed a direction for you, if he's spoken something to you, the best thing you can do is to begin walking in that direction, making preparation to move that way, whatever it looks like. And the understanding you need will come in the process. It almost never will come before your obedience. Okay, That's, that's the way God works. That's the way he worked with Gideon. You can see this played out in the lives of other people like Moses. You remember this whole story at the burning bush? Moses, God called him. Moses did the same thing, but who am I? Oh, I, I don't have this. I don't have that. I, I can't do this. They're going to ask me who sent me, so God gives him his name, his covenant name. I am Yahweh. He says, but, but how can I prove to them? And he's, you know, he gives him the whole miracle with the staff and the snake. The miracle of turning his hand, making his hand have leprosy and then healing it immediately. You remember all that, right? God did not mind Moses' questions. He didn't mind his doubts. He answered them. Okay, this is how you handle that. Okay, this is how you handle that. I understand you're a, you're a murderer hiding in the wilderness 
tending sheep for 40 years, I understand that you don't understand who you really are. Okay? And I think he speaks that to us today. I understand, Mike, that you don't understand who you really are. And that's okay. You just keep bringing it to me. You just keep bringing it to me. You see it in the life of, of David. Well, before I go there, let's finish up Moses. So finally, Moses' heart gets exposed. He says, God, I don't even speak well. He says, it's okay, you go, I will speak through you. And then Moses cries out and his heart gets exposed. God, send anybody else. You see, Moses was looking for an excuse not to be obedient. But God answered every excuse. So finally, Moses was out of excuses and he just basically cries out, I don't want to do it. But God says, and then the Bible says God got angry at that point. He didn't get angry because Moses was seeking answers to his doubts. He only got angry when Moses basically told him, I don't want to do it. Then God got angry. And he says, you're going to do it. <laughs> and I'm going to give you your brother, Aaron, to be your spokesperson since you're not going to have it any other way. Okay? In the life of David, young David, okay, standing before Goliath, okay. You remember right before he goes out, Saul calls him in and he gives him his own armor. Oh, you're just a young boy. Everybody's laughing at him, you know, you're going to get killed. Who do you think you are? Mocking him, making fun of him. Saul tries to talk him out of it, can't talk him out of it, so he gives him his own armor. It doesn't fit. You know, Saul is probably, he's certainly a lot older. He's probably a lot bigger. He's been a man of war, so he's strong. David is still a young, a young boy. And even if it did fit, it didn't feel right okay, to David. So he just shook it off. And he went with the strength that he had. With what he knew that he had in his hand. He went with his shepherd's staff and his slingshot. And his faith in God. Moses ended up going with his shepherd's staff and his faith in God. Gideon ended up going. Not with the army that he first raised of 32,000 men, soldiers. But only with the 300 that God let him keep. And he went with the strength that he had. See, God looks at resources so differently than we do. Okay? We want to always ask, like, what do I need to do this job? And in the natural, you understand that, right? When you're getting, getting ready to do a job or a task, you look and you say, okay, what do we need? What kind of resources? How much money? What kind of material? Et cetera, et cetera. And you gather it all up and you go do the job, Okay? So we have learned, we have trained ourselves to constantly ask, what do I need to do this? Is, is that true? Is that not how most of you think? And in the natural, there's nothing wrong with that, okay? There's, actually, there's wisdom in that, called counting the cost, and that's wisdom. But in the supernatural, if you're not careful, you'll get paralyzed by that question. What do I need to do this job? Because God never asks you that. I go all the way through that, that book and tell me if you can find one time 
when God says, okay, I've called you to this. I understand it's a big task. Tell me what you need, and, I, and I'll, I'll give it to you so you can feel good about moving forward. Can you think of any stories like that in the Bible? Right off, I can't. What God always says is, what do you have? What do you have? That's enough. Okay. If you will trust me with what you have, it will be multiplied. It will be replicated. It will bring everything you need to do what I've called you to do. But the first step in that process is your willingness to surrender what you have. To offer as a sacrifice that which you have. You always have something. See, I, I'm looking out today and I'm pretty sure everybody's breathing and your eyes are open. Well, maybe one or two eyes are closed, but <laughs> just kidding. If you're alive, you have something. You have something to offer. You have something to give. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. I don't care how much you have in this world's goods or how little you have. It doesn't matter. God doesn't look at our resources the same way we do. God's question is, what are you doing with what you have? Not how much of it do you have. What are you doing with what you have? Remember the parable of the talents, right? Remember the widow's mites. She, she two, two little copper coins, and God said, Jesus said, she has given more than all of these others who gave abundantly more in terms of money than she did. But she gave more than they did because she gave everything she had. This is how God looks at us. There will always be people that have more than other people. More education, more money, a bigger house, more time, more energy, better health. There will always be somebody that has more than you do. There will always be people that have less than you do. Always. The question is not you, what do you have compared to someone else? Is what do you have in your hand? And all God says is you go in that strength and I will be with you. And with that obedience, that willingness to go with what you have, with the full knowledge that God is with you, that is how you slay the giants, overcome the obstacles, take the gospel into closed places, Tear down the obstacles of religion, religiosity, of a break through the addictions, bring people to freedom. It's not by waiting until you have, think you have everything you need to do it. It's by saying, I hear the call. I don't understand how I can do that. I don't see how it's possible. But I do have this. And I'll give it to the Lord, trusting in his word. And I promise when you do that, that you will start seeing doors open. You will start seeing obstacles get out of the way. You will start feeling a deeper intimacy with the Lord. You'll start realizing a greater faith and trust in who he is. Because even though it may sound like a cliche, it is true. If God is with you, it doesn't matter who's against you. It doesn't.
just in um, just in the past what year now year and a half uh, so, so let me back up starting like almost two years ago we became aware of certain groups of people both in Mexico and in East Africa that were considered unreached and or unengaged people groups of the gospel okay we've actually found several now in Mexico tribes up in the mountains that indigenous people groups and small villages that you know they're totally off the radar screen we have a team there right now in 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 one of the people groups called the Wechol that we first became aware of a year and a half ago I've still got them on a prayer list on my phone that I keep with me all the time I've got a list of like 20 something groups that we're trying to reach we started praying for the Wechol about a year and a half ago and just in August the door opened through a connection with somebody that that had worked with the Wechol. So when you talk about indigenous people groups, it's not like, you know, one big city of indigenous peoples. It's usually like in a certain area of a country, an indigenous people group that is scattered out over many small villages, often in very remote places. So just because one of these small villages might have been reached with the gospel does not mean that the rest have been. Okay? And so... On the periphery of this area, it's called Narayit in Mexico, up in the mountains, there were Huichol villages on the periphery of their region that had been reached with the gospel. There's a group, a people group of like 37 to 40,000 people, something like that. But in the interior, they never had never been reached with the gospel, ever. Okay, so we started praying open doors. They're, they govern themselves. They kind of stand apart from the government officially of Mexico. And they kind of govern themselves. They have their own constitution and their own you know, enforcement and, and all of that. And it is illegal by their constitution for any Christian to come in and evangelize. Um, they will get rid of you one way or the other. They will either expel you or kill you. That's been the history there. Their, their religion still focuses around three major festivals of the agricultural cycle each year where the men all have to go to a certain place and offer animal sacrifices for the rain and the harvest, okay, three times a year. So it's, it's that type of culture. But just this summer, we got a connection with a Mexican pastor who'd been going up to certain parts of the Huichol for over 20 years. Some of you got to meet him in Mexico uh, just recently. And so Josh led a small team with this guy up there on the periphery. And they had great, great open doors. So that's, that team is back now, deeper in the interior, going to villages of the Huichol that have never had the gospel before. Okay? What did we have to do that? Nothing. They speak a different language. We didn't know an interpreter. They speak their indigenous language for the most part. Okay? We didn't have any money to fund it. But we had, okay, but we've got this. We've got the Jesus film. We've got some audio Bibles. And we've got some in their dialect. Okay? There's some amazing people doing amazing things with technology for the gospel. We now have a connection that can get us in. So we'll go. And so we're there now. And when I say we, I'm talking about Kaleo. You're part of this. We're there now. 
We started praying for the Xi tribe in South Sudan about two years ago. Now we have two churches planted among the Xi who were previously an unreached people group. Okay. The Mumbari tribe, we just recently planted a church with them, which was on our list to pray for. How do we do that? You just say yes. This is what we have, and we'll give it and we'll say yes. And God opens the doors. Okay. And that's just the little things that we get to be part of. And you get to be part of. But that is the secret to success in the kingdom of God. Wherever you are and whatever your calling is, you know, different people have different callings at different seasons in your life. And that's okay. That's good. That's valid. You need to be faithful to your calling at this season of your life. But in every season of that calling, your heart needs to be the same. This is what I have. I will give it. This is, I will go in the strength that I have. This is a true act of humility. You know, the principal sin is what in Scripture? It's pride, right? The principal sin is pride. It's what brought down Lucifer. It's what brought down Adam. It's what brought down Saul, King Saul of the Old Testament. Pride. If pride is the principal sin, humility is the principal virtue. Okay. Humility of heart is what will position you the best to do the amazing things that God is calling you to do. Do you understand that? I'm going to just say it one more time. Humility is the attitude of your heart that will position you the best to accomplish what God has called you to accomplish. Because humility is rooted in truth. Pride is rooted in deception. Pride tells you, uh, I've got a lot to offer, and, or I've, you know, I've got this to offer, but it demands that someone else recognize you for it. That's what pride does. You're never satisfied with what you do for the kingdom unless somebody else recognizes it and gives you credit for it. That's pride. Humility says, I do have this to offer. And at this point, it may be a lot in the world's eyes, or it may be almost nothing. It doesn't matter. Humility says, I've got this to offer, and I offer it freely. Because I understand that in the big scheme of creation, I understand how small I am. But I also understand how big God is. So true humility is rooted in truth. And it brings great confidence. As a matter of fact, when you operate in true humility, you will be so confident in what you're doing that many people will mistake it for arrogancy. Okay? It's true, it was true with Moses. Remember? His own brother and his sister and certainly Korah, they're like, who do you think you are? Like, we all hear from God. Ever, ever hear that? Maybe. <laughs> Who do you think you are? We all hear from God. Okay? We're all priests. That's true. Yes. But once you mix it with pride, it becomes deception. Okay? We are all priests. But when you mix that with pride in a prideful reaction to other people, it becomes a deception. So that happened to Moses, it happened to David, as I mentioned earlier. They mocked him. They, Who do you think you are? 
And David knew exactly who he was. He was a little shepherd boy that knew how to use a sling and a staff, and he absolutely knew who God was. And so when you go forth in true humility, others will often accuse you of being prideful and arrogant. But here's, here's the difference. Humility is the differentiating line between pride and confidence. Okay? You can have the same abilities, you can have the same opportunities, but if you go forth in pride, you'll be walking under a lie. And how can you tell if you're walking in pride? You just want somebody else to recognize you. That's, that's, that's the easiest way I know how. If that's in your heart, you need to really take it before the Lord. Because in the kingdom, it honestly doesn't matter who recognizes you or not. Okay? But if you go forth in humility with the same gifts, the same opportunity, the same energy, the same passion, knowing how small you are, but how big God is, then you will be powerful in the kingdom. And that's the point that God was getting, was moving Gideon toward. Gideon, you don't know who you are, but I do. You see yourself as a nobody. I see you as a mighty warrior. Okay. That's actually who you were created to be. That's actually who you are in your heart, and that's what you can accomplish. Okay. But God, but God, but God, it's okay. I know why you think that way. I understand. Let me show you. Let me clarify. Let me confirm. And Gideon never went to the place Moses did. Gideon accepted the confirmation even when God was getting rid of his whole army. <laughs> Sometimes in the kingdom, subtraction is addition, is multiplication, okay? If Gideon was prideful, he would have been devastated when 29,900 men walked away and only left him with 300. But instead, he was empowered because he was going forth humbly. Now, at the end of his age, apparently he fell into pride. If you read the rest of the story, it says he, he made an ephod out of some of the jewelry captured from the enemy, and they, they basically became an idol. And all we're told is it became a snare for Gideon in his older age. Okay. So you never get to a point ever where you do not need to be accountable to somebody. I don't have to remind you of all of the, of the Christian leaders who have fallen in the last several years. And the common, the common denominator in all of those in surveys that have been done is who did you have in your life during the season leading up to your fall that you were accountable to, that you were sharing what was in your heart and your temptations and your struggles? To a person, the answer was zero. They had all elevated themselves above a place of accountability. That's pride. That's stepping from humility, which they may have started out in, but somewhere they stepped into pride, which is what happened to Gideon. Okay. God's okay with your doubts. He will clarify. He will answer. God's okay with your questions. God's okay and, and, and to, to take time to go through a process of moving you to a place of greater humility and greater faith.
But there comes a time when God says it's time. Okay? It's time. Move forward. And if we miss that time, I don't know if it'll come back or not. So every day, as much as we can, we should be adopting the attitude. God, move me more to a place of greater humility and greater obedience. How do you know if you're being moved that way? Do you have in your heart to look at what you have and say, it's yours. It's yours. Okay? It's kind of really practical. If we're willing, it's really easy test that we can apply to ourselves to see if our faith is genuine or if we're just playing some kind of a game. And it's so easy to do. I've done it in seasons in my life. I did not understand. And so you kind of convince yourself you're good, that everything's good. You're busy doing this. You're doing that for the kingdom. You're doing that for the kingdom. But deep in your heart, you know you're holding something in reserve. So how can you tell if you're really moving forward? Ask God for guidance. Ask him for clarity. What is your calling at this season in your life? What do you have in your hand? What strength do you have? Are you going forth in the strength that you have? Or are you sitting back and being complacent? Because life's pretty good at the moment. Okay? If you will learn to live your life that way, you will not find yourself someday walking under the deception of pride because you will have walked in true humility. And humility, again, is what positions you best to accomplish what God calls you to do. Okay? So, I'm going to close with this. It's really simple. Okay? What do you have? <laughs> Go in the strength that you have. It's not just a one-time call. It's a call for every day, every moment. Are you willing to use the strength that you have now and combine it with the faith that you have now and move forward? Okay? That's all God ever asks. Do you, are you willing to take what you have now, the strength that you have, again, if it's resources, if it's health, if it's energy, if it's wisdom, if it's revelation, whatever it is, are you willing to take the strength that you have in this moment and combine it with the faith that you have in this moment and move ahead? Okay? I don't care if you have a little, I don't care if you have a lot. I don't care if you have health or if you don't have health right now. That's, I mean, I care if you're not healthy, but it doesn't apply to what I'm talking about. If you find yourself in a season where you do not have health or energy to go out and do something, then see it as an opportunity to spend more time in your prayer closet, interceding, supporting, lifting up. Okay? If you have a lot to give, give it. If you have a little to give, give it. God will take care of you. That's a call. That's the invitation. Act upon the faith you have in the moment with the strength that you have in the moment. Okay. What are you doing with what you've been given? And I'll be honest, this church is amazing. Many of you I know personally, you're amazing. I've watched over decades with some of you how you have given yourselves to the Lord. And I honor that and I celebrate it. 
but I don't think it ever hurts to hear a challenge. Don't get complacent. What do you have in the moment? This church's heart is amazing to reach out to people in need, both at home and abroad, and I celebrate that. Okay. But this spirit we're talking about, the sense of feeling hopeless and helpless and little and small and no vision beyond surviving the next day, okay? That can hit you as an individual, it can hit you as a family, and it can hit you as a church where your world just shrinks in and you're like Gideon hiding in the bottom of a wine press. Okay. And all you're trying to do is get through the day and survive to the next. That's not how you were created to live. So what do you have? What strength do you have? Will you combine it with the faith that you have and move forward? What are you doing with what you've been given? Let's see, that's the invitation today. If you want to rededicate, I know we kind of did this earlier. It was unplanned. We kind of did this uh, or kind of a rededication call of your life. But if you still feel the need to come forward for just a few moments and just offer to God to actually open your eyes to the strength that you have. Gideon didn't see his, but yet he accomplished a great miracle. Okay. God accomplished it through him. Ask God to open your eyes to the strength that you have at this point in your life. What is it? And then offer it to him new and fresh. Thank you, Father. Father, we just, we just present ourselves before you. We offer it to you. We offer ourselves new and fresh. Come, Lord Jesus, minister to our hearts. Take us from where we are to where you want us to be. Do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes, Lord, to move us from where we are to where you want us to be. just knelt down to just pray for myself and the Holy Spirit spoke very clearly to me that some of you are holding on to ideas that the Lord has deposited in your mind in your heart for ministry you're holding on to ideas but you've never acted on them because you didn't see the way forward you're holding on to them because you thought others would ridicule you or make fun of you for having such a big dream the Holy Spirit said today it's time to act upon them it is time so I'm going to offer this just, just invitation to you. If you know the Lord has spoken to you about something that he's called you to do that you've not yet done, I want you to take an action upon it today, even if that action just begins with a prayer and a, allowing that dream to come back to life again. Father, I just ask you to breathe the life of your Holy Spirit upon your calling that you have deposited within the hearts of your people for this town, for this state, for Appalachia, and around the world. 
awaken, awaken the dreams, awaken the possibilities. Speak life into that which people have let die because they could not see beyond the risk. They could not see beyond the inconveniences. They could not see beyond the limited resources. Breathe life into your callings in the hearts of your people. is in the 